Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. How's it going, City Walk Church? Those of you that are watching online, uh, glad to have you. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, Over this next week, uh, something that we talked about, if you were here with us a few weeks ago when we had our birthday, uh, we talked about how in, uh, on Easter Sunday, we're going to launch an online campus. So we've had an online service uh, for uh, the last several weeks and months, but we wanted to uh, build something that would help us. Many of you have people that you've told me, hey, I wish they could come to church. I wish they could be a part of this. And they live in Pennsylvania or they live different parts of the country or they're in Kuwait and they're uh, serving in the Air Force right now. And, and they want to be a part of what's going on here. So we're going to launch a, a fully functional online campus where people can join groups, where they can serve. And uh, our interest meeting for people that want to hear more about that, for people that maybe want to be a part of that, is next Sunday night. Uh, it's at 630. It's at Mark, uh, at Mark and Sharice's house. Uh, if you know anybody, anything about Mark and Sharice's house... Anytime you go over to their house, you will have dessert that you uh, probably have never had before, and you will love it. And so, man, just come for the dessert. But I wanted to remind you guys, we'd love for you to be a part of that. Love for you to hear a little bit more about what that's going to be about. You can sign up on the app, or you can sign up uh, on the website, and that's something that you can get involved in. The reason that we're doing the online campus is, obviously is what started it was COVID. So we started the online services just like a lot of churches. And then, you know, we're moving into an online campus now. But you you know this, just like a lot of things have changed in churches, over the last several months and over this last season, a lot has changed in our lives. Uh, Some of the things that we used to kind of wake up and not want to do, we want to do now. I mean, think about it. In, in a year ago, if you would have seen three people walking into a store with a mask on, you, you would have probably called the police. But now you, they may call the police on you if you don't put a mask on before you come in their store. Uh, but there, a lot of things have changed. Think about it. If you're a teenager and you, man, it's hard to remember when, it, when you were going to school, but all the way back to when you were going to school every single week, Every single day, if you woke up and you had a little like kind of a stomach ache, you're like, you know what? I, I, I don't know what that is, but I think I need to stay home today from school. I, I just feel it. And we would come up with a lot of excuses because, man, we didn't want to go to school every day. Now we look at it and it's like, dude, I will take the cardboard pizza from the cafeteria. I will take geometry class. I will get up early. I'll put up with teacher so-and-so who I don't like. Man, I just, I want to go get involved. I miss some of the things that I used to try to get out of. Man, I actually miss doing. If I was in school during this time, I tried to think about, man, what are some of the things I would have missed 
Man, I, I think the only subject I would have missed was history. I probably would have missed lunch. And I probably would have missed P.E., especially elementary age kids. Think back to when you were an elementary age kid and think back to what P.E. was like. When you were in elementary school and you would go out onto the P.E. field, the greatest honor of your life was if you got chosen to be the captain of a team. Look, think back, think back. Remember when you were a kid and, and like the greatest day of your life, the greatest day of the year is when the coach would look at you and say, hey, Chris, you're going to be the captain of the team today. And then like the greatest fear you could ever have is if you weren't the captain and you were sitting there waiting to be picked. Like that was always stressful too as a kid. You, you'd look around and you'd, you'd kind of compare yourself like, Ah, Charlie, Charlie, he's gained a little weight. I think I'm going to get picked before him. And Susie, I mean, she's a better athlete than me, even though she's a girl. She could probably whoop me too, so she's probably going to pick. I think I'll make it, though. I think I'll get picked before the last pick because nobody wanted to be the last pick. I mean, that was like the ultimate shame was being the last person picked for the team. It was awful. Nobody wanted that. And, and from an early age, whether we like it or not, it's, and it's actually pretty ugly to even say this, but our culture has pushed us and trained us to choose people based on their appearance. So when you're picking a team, you're like, well, that guy, he's a big guy. He looks like a great athlete. I want to pick him first. Or she's the prettiest girl. I'm gonna, she's going to get picked first. Or that person dresses the best. And, and, and unfortunately, our society and, and even the ugliness that's already inside of us has kind of pushed us even without us liking it and without it being right to honestly look at people and base a lot of what we think about them on their outward appearance. And unfortunately, for, for many of us, we've brought that same idea into our relationship with God. And here's what I mean. We kind of bring that same idea into our interactions and thoughts about God. It's almost as if God were picking a team uh, on the PE field and we are trying to play the part and trying to look the part so that at least, man, at least I can get on the team and I'm probably not going to get picked last. And, and so we, we kind of bring our interactions with God and almost compare it to the same thing. Like if I, if I keep things together good enough on the outside, I think I can make God's team. But... What if that was not the way God saw things? What if I told you that actually God sees things a lot differently than we see things? What if the filter we see people through is actually not the right filter? What if Jesus really meant what he said in Luke chapter 16 when he said, for what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight? What is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. What if God saw people differently than we see people? What if God saw you differently than how you even see yourself? What if what was important to God is actually what's not important to the world? And what if what was important to the world is actually something that God could care less about? What if it was different? 
Last week, we started a series about a guy by the name of David who understood very well what it was like to be chosen based on your appearance, what it was like to be chosen based on what's on the outside. And in the midst of being chosen based on what's on the outside, David learned something and he learned a truth. And the truth is this, God looks past our appearance to the health of our heart. David, as a young man, learned as he felt the, the, the angst and the shame of not being chosen based on appearance, he learned that God sees things differently. That God actually sees things in a way that we don't see things. That God actually looks past our appearance to the health of our heart. And really to understand this better, we have to put ourselves back in Israel when David was a teenager. So up to this point when David was a teenager... Israel had been ruled by people, they were called judges. And there wasn't a king, and they, they had these judges that worked with God, and, and they kind of ruled and led the, the nation. And, and the latest judge was a guy by the name of Samuel. And Samuel was a guy that, uh, if you've read anything in the Old Testament, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, he, he was a guy that was pretty highly respected. He was a godly man. He was a guy that, that people loved and respected and followed. But Samuel was starting to get old. And so the people of Israel came to Samuel and said, Hey, buddy, you're getting old and you just, you just don't do it the way you used to do it. And so here's what we'd like. Now that you're kind of going off the scene, we look at all these other nations of the world and we see they actually have a king. And so Samuel, as you're kind of going off the scene, would you, we, we want to have a king. We, we want a king. We want a person that we can call king. And Samuel's like, no, you don't. Have you ever heard of taxes? I mean, if, if, if you get a king and Samuel kind of gives him the, the rundown, you're going to lose some of your freedom. He's going to want some of your money. You don't want a king. And they're like, no, we really want a king. And so he, Samuel goes to God, and God basically tells Samuel, hey, buddy, just give them what they want. And it says this in 1 Samuel 8, 7. God tells Samuel, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have actually, they've rejected me as their king. And so God says, okay, give the people what they want. Samuel, they, they want a king. They're, they're not listening to you. Don't take it personally. Just give them a king. And so God gave them exactly what they wanted. He gave them the king that they wanted. They gave up, he gave them a man by the name of Saul. And Saul was a guy, and Samuel even says it, he was a guy you would have picked first to be on the team. Because the scriptures say this about Saul. It says that uh, he, he had a son named Saul, and this is what, how they describe Saul. He was an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. So, so Saul was this guy that was bigger than everybody. He was more impressive than everybody. I mean, he wasn't just like the best looking in his family. He says, out of our whole country, this is the most impressive man in our country. So from the outward appearance, this is the guy. Why wouldn't you want this guy to be your king? And so they, they made him king. And though Saul was physically impressive from the outward appearance, man, his presence was powerful, he was spiritually and emotionally pretty bankrupt. 
Instead of steady leadership, basically Saul led from selfishness and fear. And really, instead of wanting to please God, he really spent his time worried about what people thought, and he tried to please people. And so he had this, this, this reign that was kind of up and down, and, and Samuel would go to him and be like, come on, Saul, get your stuff together. You're doing the wrong thing. Okay, I'll, I'll fix it. And it was kind of up and down. But then there was, he got to a spot where he kind of, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was God said to Saul, hey, there's this country called the Amalekites, and they have been a thorn in our backside for years. They have been awful to Israel. I want you to go into their country and I want you to wipe them out, man. I want you to burn everything, wipe them out. I, I want them gone. Don't keep any of their stuff. Just go do what I said. They've been terrible to our country. And so Saul does. He, he goes in and he destroys the Amalekites. But then Saul starts to look around and he's like, oh, do we really want to destroy that? Because, they, man, they got some stuff over there that looks good, and there's some treasure here that looks good. Man, look at all this cattle they have. It'd be terrible to put, for all that to be wasted. And so I don't know if God really meant to destroy everything. So because I'm maybe a little smarter than God, or maybe he was taking a vacation that day, wasn't thinking clearly, let me keep maybe the best of the Amalekites, and I'm going to kind of keep that for myself. And so he did. And so Samuel, he, he calls Saul out. He's like, dude, what, what, what part of destroy everything didn't you understand? And so Saul, he's pretty manipulative, and he's like, dude, I just wanted to keep back a few things to sacrifice for the Lord, because you know me and God, we're tight, just thought this would be a great opportunity to sacrifice for the Lord. And so Samuel, he, he doesn't take that, he pushes back, and, and he says this, this is what Samuel said in, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it's his response. Then Samuel said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the Lord? Like, okay, you're going to sacrifice to the Lord. Well, you know what? God actually likes obedience more than he likes your sacrifices. He says, look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. And then in the very next verse, it says this. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. You're done, buddy. You, you didn't think this was a big deal, Saul? Because you lied, because you manipulated, because you didn't do what God said, you're no longer going to be king. And so this man, this was devastating. This was devastating for Saul, but it was also devastating for Samuel because he was older and man, he loved, he had served Israel with his whole life. And now Saul, the guy that was in charge and the guy that was king is no longer going to be king. And so, man, Samuel, it says, man, this rocked him. He mourned and it, it was a tough time for him. But then God comes to Samuel and he says, dude, wipe your tears up. Get up. Quit whining. We're moving forward. And, and, and this is what God said to Samuel in, in 1 Samuel 16. Verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul? Since I've rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I've selected for myself a king from his sons. Samuel, 
all right, you've cried long enough. It's time to move on. Go ahead and get the oil that you would use to anoint a king. And we're going to go to Jussie. Remember Jussie Bethlehem? He's Boaz and Ruth's grandson. That guy, I want you to go to him. And he's got some sons. And one of those sons is going to be king. Because while you've been upset and while you've been mourning and while you didn't know what was going to happen, I've had a plan the whole time. So get up and let's go. And so it says this in verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord directed. He went to Bethlehem. When the elders or the leaders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, do you come in peace? It's like when you're sitting in class and the principal comes in and he just sits in the back of the room. You're like, shouldn't have took those chocolate milks at lunch he got me it's over it's all coming out and you're not sure you're not sure why he's here the principal doesn't just come sit in class for no reason the teacher's nervous because she doesn't know why he's here all the kids are nervous they're thinking about all the things they shouldn't have done I shouldn't have like shoved that kid in the locker and whatever the last few weeks has been like because you're not sure is this principal here to like give us all five dollars or is he here to is somebody in trouble and so you're kind of nervous and that's what happened here like why is Samuel coming like why is the prophet got to come to Bethlehem somebody who, who did it somebody's in trouble and so when they see Samuel coming they're afraid and they're like dude are you coming to be are we cool are we good you coming in peace? What's, what's, why are you coming, man? And Samuel says, he says, in peace, he replied. They're like, sigh of relief. Okay, we're good. He says this, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to, the, to sacrifice. Basically what con, uh, consecration was, there was like a ceremonial washing, a cleansing, and, and there was a little bit of a ceremony they would go through. And so he invites Jesse and he invites Jesse's sons to come be a part of the sacrifice and kind of go through this ceremonial cleansing. And so this was fairly normal. So they, they come and they do that. And then it says this, when they arrived... So they get to the sacrifice and think, Samuel, if you're a coach, you can relate with this. Because like if you ever have been a coach and you've went to like a, an open tryout, like your brain, you're looking like, okay, which kid stands out? Who's the good athlete? You're, you're looking automatically the whole time. You're, you're comparing them all. And that's what probably Samuel, they, they show up to the sacrifice. They don't know why they're there, but Samuel's starting to eye them like, okay, which one? Which one's, which one's going to be the king? Which one? Ah, is he... Oh, he looks pretty sharp. And so that's what Samuel does. And it says this, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. So Eliab, he was the firstborn. He probably physically was bigger than everybody. This is the guy probably fit the part from Samuel's perspective. And Samuel says to himself, certainly the Lord's anointed one is here. This is probably him, because this is the obvious guy. I mean, he's sharp, strong. He's got like a good presence in the room. This is the guy. Samuel's probably grabbing his oil. He's ready to do the deal, and this thing's done. And just about the time he's about to do that, God says to Samuel, he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I've rejected him. What? 
God says, like, what am I supposed to look at? God, like, his appearance, his stature, and, and think, think who's the king right now? Saul, the biggest guy, the guy that's more impressive than everybody. So he's thinking, we got to get somebody else that's impressive physically. And so Eliab, he's got to be the guy. And, and God says to him, don't, don't do that. I've actually rejected him. And then, then he goes on, he says, humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord he sees what's on the inside. He sees the heart. See, you, you look at the outward appearance, the size, the, the look of a person, but here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at their desires, their motives. I'm looking at what's going on on the inside with them. I'm looking at their heart. And so, so Eliab, okay, 0 for 1, God, okay, that guy's off the market. So, all right, he's got a bunch of other sons. So Jesse called Abinadab and, and presented him to Samuel. So the second born, okay, maybe it's this guy. Samuel's like, nope, this isn't the one either. Then Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one. After Jesse presented seven sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Like, all your boys are handsome, all your boys I'm sure are impressive, but man, God doesn't want any of them. And so Samuel, at this point, he's probably a little confused. Like, God, was there like another Jesse in Bethlehem that I was supposed to go to? What? I, I'm not understanding this. And so Samuel asked, are, are these all your sons? Like, Jesse, I'm not trying to make you feel like an idiot, but would you happen to have forgotten one of your kids? Don't feel bad if you did. No, no, no judgment. But, but here, you brought all your boys, and God doesn't want any of them. Could you happen to have missed one? And Jesse said, I mean, he, he, oh yeah, they're still the youngest one, he answered, but right now he's, he's tending the sheep. See, David was so insignificant to his father, he didn't even think to invite him. Like, of course he's not going to be the guy. Why, why would we invite him? He's out taking care of the sheep. Uh, yeah, we do have one more, though. I mean, Sam, I didn't think you wanted him here. I mean, at this point, David's a middle schooler. David's probably eighth or ninth grade. He's spent his days out in the fields taking care of the sheep. I mean, he's, he's learned a lot about taking care of sheep. He's killed some lions, some bears. He's probably had a lot of alone time with God. I mean, he's probably really good at throwing rocks at this point. I mean, yeah, that's our guy, but you, you want us to get him? And Samuel told Jesse, go get him, send for him. We're not sitting down to eat until you get him here. So Jesse sent for him. He, he comes in, he says he had beautiful eyes and he was healthy. He was a handsome kid. Then the Lord said, anoint him for he is the one. Think, just think about being Dan, or David. Daniel's another story. Think about being David. I mean, you're in the field doing your thing, and, and all of a sudden somebody comes out there and, hey, hey, Dad, your dad wants you. All right, dude, can you watch the sheep for a couple minutes? I'll be right back. I don't know what Dad wants. And you, you come in the room, and you, you ever enter a room and know, like, something's been going on here? I don't really know what it is, but I know something serious has been going on. Daniel or David enters the room, and he's like, something's going on here. And all of a sudden, this old guy that you respect, because man, this is Samuel, he walks over to you with some oil in a, like a little horn thing, and he anoints you on your head with oil. And you know, like, that's what you do with kings. Like, what's he, what's he doing? And he anoints David. 
in front of all of his brothers. And it says in verse 13, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. So David, is he like off to the palace now? No, you know what he did? He went back to the sheep. Like he's the king. He's, he just got anointed the king. He's the guy. And Samuel, are we done here? I, my sheep, I got to get back. Yeah, go ahead, buddy. Go ahead. We'll, we'll call you when we need you. And he goes back and he stays there for 15 years. I mean, he doesn't become king. He has some other roles in the, in the country. But I mean, he doesn't become king for 15 years. In fact, after he's anointed king, he just kind of gets back to his normal life for a while. He takes care of the the sheep and he helps the king out a little bit. He actually serves King Saul kind of part-time in his court. He's no one special. I mean, he knows he's been anointed, but he just seems to get like right back to his life. I want you to think and maybe put yourself, use your imagination and put yourself in the room when all this took place. It might have been a tent, might have been outside, but put yourself there. Imagine watching Jesse bring his boys in, and and you're Samuel, and you know you've got to choose, like you're about to choose the guy that's going to take the country you've been serving, that you love so dearly, like they're going to lead them into the kind of the next 20 or 30 years. This is a huge deal, and you're the only one that knows this is about to happen. And you're looking and you see these boys come in and, and like Samuel, you would, you would probably see some obvious choices like, oh, I think that's going to be the guy. But then just about the time you, you, you choose, God taps you on the shoulder and it's like, nope, not the guy. Can you feel the frustration that you probably would have felt like, oh, God, I don't get this. And then about the time you're frustrated, this tired, exhausted Ninth grader walks in the room. He's smaller than everybody else. He doesn't have the social skills that his brother has. I mean, he's in middle schoolers. Middle schoolers are awkward. I mean, he's just a middle schooler. In some ways, he's insignificant even in his family. And in that moment, God taps you on the shoulder and says, he's the guy. Anoint him. Are you like embarrassed? Like, like, are you sure, God? I mean, I'm gonna put, you want me to right now? And you're, you're maybe even arguing with God, like, look at these other boys. You, you sure? Before we do this, God, you sure? And God says, he's the guy. And it's in that moment that we, we were reminded that God sees things different. God looks past our appearance to the health of our heart. The truth of the story of David is that, that what we look at and what's important to us and what our world looks at and sees as important might not be important to God. At least it's not as important as we make it. God looks past our appearance and he looks to the health of our heart, which leads us to a question that the truth of this story and, and kind of this what happened to David leads us to a question. And it's a question that The answer to it has a lot of ramifications on our life. And here's the question. What if I valued the health of my heart the way God does? 
What if I valued the health of my heart the way God does? See, God looks past the physical appearance. He looks to the health of the heart. For him, that's the big deal. For him, the heart's the most important thing. What if, what if we valued a healthy heart the same way God does? What if I valued what God valued? What if I looked past the, the outward? What if when I looked in the mirror, I, I wasn't so concerned about what I saw, but I was more concerned about what was going on inside of me? What, what if I valued not necessarily all of my behavior, but what's inside of me that actually is what is at the, the, the heart of that behavior? What if that's what I focused on? See, for most of us, we know what happens when we don't focus on our hearts. Because unfortunately, you and I, we felt the consequences of others who disregarded the health of their heart. Because we've been hurt by people close to us who have disregarded the health of our heart and it's showed up in their life. It showed up in their consistency. It showed up in their character. I mean, for some of you, you had a dad that was a rock star at work, but he was a terrible dad at home. Because, man, he could, he could put on a front. He, he could work hard. He could be impressive at work. But because on the inside he wasn't, because on the inside his heart was not healthy, yeah, he could put on a front at work. But when he got home, he was a terrible dad. He was a terrible husband. You've un, you understand that. Some of you have been through that. You've seen that. For, for some of you, you've, you've been around people that have made a lot of promises to you. You've been around people that are really good at starting things and being excited on the front end. And yeah, they can put on a front on the, on the front end of things and they can make sound, things sound really good, but they never follow through with what they say because on the inside, they don't have a healthy heart. Yeah, they can talk a good game on the front end, but you've been let down time and time again because they don't have the character or consistency to follow through because of their heart. For some of us, you, you've watched people you love dearly be tormented because they try to be a different person based on the room they walk into. And it's exhausting. And you've watched it. It breaks your heart to watch people that are close to you go through that because you, you've, you've watched them try to be a different person in different rooms. And all the while, they've never dealt with what's on the inside. And they've been, they've been the, the, the appearance in front of people and, and pleasing people has been what drives them. And it breaks your heart to watch it. Some, if, if we're honest, we might be those people to other people. Like we might be the people that don't deal with our heart and so we have a lack of consistency and a lack of character in different areas of our life and we have people around us that are being hurt because we've never had the courage to deal with what's in our heart and we're hurting the people closest to us but man, we can still put on a good front on the outward appearance in front of other people but the people that mean the most to us feel it the most. Because we've never dealt with on what's on the inside. See, what if I valued the health of my heart the way God does? What if like God, when he looked across those boys, and I'm sure they were great guys and maybe courageous, had some good things, but God looked past all the outward and he said, I'm looking for someone who has my heart. 
I'm looking for somebody that, man, has a heart after me. What if I valued the health of my heart the way God does? When I, when I evaluate my heart, and whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, when you have, because that's a great thought, like, okay, you're right, I probably should, my heart's important, I should probably deal with that kind of stuff, but what does that even, like, how do you do that? Like, practically, what are questions you ask yourself? What, how do you start to maybe move towards health in your heart when your heart's not healthy? And a couple things that I, I would encourage you to do is the questions that I ask myself as you think about how to evaluate the health of your heart. The first question is this, what am I pursuing? What am I pursuing? Like, what is most important to me in my life? Because some of us, whether you're online or you're here, you've watched people that you love dearly, that were, that, man, they, they were good people. They started to pursue some things, and it was like they changed. The, the things they pursued changed them. And, and because when we pursue things, our perspective changes. And so what's most important to you? Like, what are you pursuing? Because what you're pursuing will have a really big effect on the health of your heart. And we all know that because we've dealt with this ourselves and we've watched other people that have pursued things that aren't healthy and they were a good person going the right direction. They started to pursue the wrong thing. Their perspective changed and they were different. So, so what am I pursuing? And then the second question that's pretty, maybe an obvious question is, who am I listening to? Who am I listening to? It's a relational question. Like, who's got my ear? Who has influence on me? Like, is God's voice the loudest voice? Or whose voice is the loudest voice to me? Because based on who has the, the loudest voice that I listen to, it will have a huge effect on my heart. You show me a train wreck of a life, somebody that's leaving scrap metal in their family and that's hurting them, we could probably point to stuff they're pursuing and people they're listening to. And those two things affect the heart and, and the damage is huge. So who are you listening to? And what are you pursuing? What, what the devil and kind of what the evil one will tend to want us to think is that we're the exception. Like, like I'm the one person that can pursue a few wrong things and listen to a few wrong people and I'll be okay. And, and Satan's like, yep, just, yeah, you're right, buddy. You sure are. You're a strong boy. You, you keep doing that. He's just reeling us in. Because he, he knows, man, he's been doing this for thousands of years. You pursue that. You listen to that person and watch your family be a wreck in 20 years. Because you pursued the wrong things, you listened to the wrong people, and your heart was unhealthy and it affected others. So what would it be like if I valued the health of my heart the way God does? See, God looks past our appearance to the health of our heart. Let's pray. God, as we, first of all, are so thankful for this story. Lord, we're thankful for this just very clear picture of what's important to you. And Lord, on our own, we will jack up our hearts. 
On our own, we will pursue the wrong things. On our own, we will listen to the wrong voices. Lord, I've done that. I've listened to the wrong voices. I've pursued the wrong things in my life. And Lord, I've hurt people because of it. And and God, I pray for each of us that are watching online or maybe we're here this morning. Lord, I pray that in this moment that we would just evaluate where is my heart? How is the health of my heart? And Lord, if we've maybe grown up in a religious system that that put way too much focus on the outward appearance, Lord, I pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray your spirit would help us to understand that the heart is what matters to you. The heart is what drives everything. And God, I pray for, for us in the room this morning or watching online that you would do heart surgery on us. Lord, that the things that we're pursuing that are unhealthy, the people we're listening to that are the wrong voices, Lord, that you would help us remove those from our life. And Lord, removing those things from our life might be painful at first, but five years from now, ten years from now, we will be glad we did. And so, God, I pray in this moment that you would make clear to each of us as individuals what it is you want us to do. That you would make clear to us right now, Lord, what things we're pursuing that just aren't going to lead to health. That you would make clear to us right now in this moment who we're listening to that we have to stop listening to. And, Lord, then I pray that we as individuals, would have the courage to obey you and remove those things. God, I pray that we would lean into you, that we would lean into other people that are followers of you, and that we would not try to do this alone because we desperately need you, Lord. We need you to even pursue you because we won't do it on our own. And so, God, I pray in this moment that you would speak to us and that we would obey. In Jesus' name, amen.